Thanks for checking out the weekly sermon from Church of the Resurrection. We pray that God will use this message to speak to you and help you grow in your faith journey. We'd like to invite you to join us next week at one of our services, whether in live worship online at court.org live or in person at one of our locations in the Kansas City area. Church of the Resurrection is one church in multiple locations. To learn more about our service times and ministries, please visit Cora.org. We hope you enjoy this message. As we continue in worship, I invite you to hear these words of scripture. Jesus began to teach beside the lake again. Such a large crowd gathered that he climbed into a boat there on the lake. He sat in the boat while the whole crowd was nearby on the shore. He said many things to them in parables. While teaching them, he said, listen to this. A farmer went out to scatter seed. As he was scattering seed, some fell on the path and the birds came and ate it. Other seed fell on rocky ground where the soil was shallow. They sprouted immediately because the soil wasn't deep. When the sun came up, it scorched the plants and they dried up because they had no roots. Other seed fell among thorny plants. The thorny plants grew and choked the seeds and they produced nothing. Other seed fell into good soil and bore fruit. Upon growing and increasing, the seed produced in one case a yield of 30 to 1, in another case a yield of 60 to 1, and in another case a yield of 100 to 1. He said, whoever has ears to listen should pay attention. And from Matthew chapter 13, Jesus' disciples came and said to him, why do you use parables when you speak to the crowds? Jesus replied, because they haven't received the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but you have. For those who have will receive more than they will have more than enough. But as for those who don't have, even the little they have will be taken away from them. This is why I speak to the crowds in parables. Although they see, they don't really see. And although they hear, they don't really hear or understand. May God add a blessing to the reading, hearing, and understanding of Scripture. In just three years of public ministry, Jesus managed to change the world. Much of Jesus' ministry centered upon his preaching and teaching to the masses. And when he did this, he almost always taught by telling these incredible stories. Stories have power. Stories spark emotion. Stories inspire us to change our hearts and our minds. Jesus was a masterful storyteller. And just as they did back then, these incredible stories continue to transform us today. Hi, I'm Pastor Robert Johnson. I'm the new location pastor here at Leewood, your Leewood campus, and it's a delight to be back with you. Some of you all are hearing me for the first time, uh, but it's a delight to be before you today to bring a word from the Lord. You've heard the reading of today's passage, and I want to take us on an adventure to explore the meanings of this parable. But before we do that, I want to ask a question or I'll raise a question. I bet you're asking, and we're not the first to ask, and that is, why did Jesus teach in parables? Again, we were not the first to ask that question. The disciples asked it first. As a matter of fact, I love the setup of it in Matthew chapter 13. They're with Jesus and Jesus has told this parable and the disciples pull him to the side. They've gathered a crowd there. Uh, Jesus is in some way, you could say he was uh, the pastor of the fastest growing church in the Fertile Crescent. This kid who 
uh, whose parentage was in question. And now he's growing, he's healing people, he's teaching, he's preaching. And uh, he has the fastest growing church in the Fertile Crescent. And so they've gathered a crowd, people are ready, and uh, the disciples are excited about what the potential might be for more growth. And Jesus tells a parable. And the disciples pull him to the side and said, Jesus, why are you speaking in parables? This is an opportunity for us to really grow the ministry, to reach more people. This is an opportunity for us to gain more power, maybe they were thinking, more power and more prestige. So whatever your agenda is, whatever our agenda is, this moment, this is a big moment when we can push that agenda forward. So why are you speaking in parables? Make it plain, make it simple so that the people can understand. Gerald Ford is credited with having said, nothing in life is more important than effective communication. And I bet you agree with that. But I have another quote for it that I think is just as important, maybe more impactful, and it's by CEO Andrew Grove. And he says, how well we communicate is not just about how well we say what we say, but how well we're understood what he said. This is why Jesus spoke in parables. Jesus spoke in parables because sometimes the most straightforward of communication can be totally misinterpreted and misunderstood. I bet you've had the experience of trying to be as clear and simple and straightforward as possible in communicating your thoughts only to have them uh, be misunderstood, be misinterpreted, only to have the kinds of response of make it plain or make it make sense or what are you really saying? It can be worse because sometimes people can take our simple, straightforward communication and turn it into epic sagas or horror stories. Those of you that have been married, I bet you can identify with this. I'll tell you a little about uh, a, a situation that happens that has happened over and over again for Linda and I in our marriage. We've been married for 34 years. So I want you all to remember this as I tell this story, that this is part of what has happened over a 34-year journey. But there are times when in the midst of our trying to communicate, because there's so much history there, uh, we've had so much time together, and we begin to read into each other's statements, and a simple, straightforward uh, piece of communication can get totally misinterpreted and misunderstood. Let me give an example. Here's a typical conversation that happens between us. I'll walk in and I'll say, hey, I'm headed to see a movie. It's a sci-fi movie, which I know you don't like, but I thought I'd still see if you weren't to go with me. And Linda responds by saying, so what are you saying, Robert? And then I say, I'm just asking you if you want to go to the movie. And then I get from her a deep breath. No, go on. And then I respond, really, Linda? And Linda says, what? I gave you what you want. Go without me. My response, I didn't say I wanted to go without you. I want to go, but I, I want you to go, but I know that you don't particularly care for sci-fi movies, so I was just letting you know what I, that I was going to see, what I was going to go see. Linda says, okay. And then I say, Linda, I told you that I would take the trash out. <laughs> I can do that when I get back. Linda, I've already taken out the trash, but why are you getting upset? Because I said, okay. And then I say, 
I'm not the one who's getting upset. You created unnecessary drama just because I asked, to go, asked you to go to the movie with me. That's when I got upset. And Linda says, but I thought you said you weren't upset. <laughs> it's enough to make a person want to speak in parables. And just FYI, Linda and I speak parables. That's a word. Yes, I just made that word up. We speak in parables through music when we're in the car together. For example, in our early days of marriage, when we'd have battles back and forth and uh, we, we were, uh, both our egos were strong and, and uh, we battled with each other and Beyonce's song, Irreplaceable, might come on. And in that song, she says, to the left, to the left, everything you own in a box to the left. And the song goes on and basically she says, don't ever think you're irreplaceable. And that song would come on and Linda would turn the radio up she was speaking in parables to me to let me know you need to listen to this. And then for me, boys to men song, Water Runs Dry might come on and it says, uh, let's not wait for our water to run dry. We might miss our whole lives. And I turned the radio up because for me, that was a parable for her. Jesus didn't start with parables. In the beginning of his ministry, he used declarative, straightforward language. The kingdom of God is here. Repent, believe in the good news, follow me. And he did the works of the kingdom with clear and straightforward action. But he started to notice that his words and actions were being misheard, misunderstood, misinterpreted, and misapplied. People were asking questions like, are we taking over the Roman Empire? Are you starting a political revolution? Who's getting the seats of authority and power in your kingdom? Are you saying that the law doesn't matter? And are you possibly implying that you rank higher than Abraham and Moses? People were making insinuating statements like this guy's being casual about sin and sinners. He's discouraging people from fasting. He has no respect for the Sabbath. This guy is in partnership with Satan and even Jesus' own family were misunderstanding him. They were raising the questions of, has Jesus lost his mind? Has he had a nervous breakdown? So Jesus changed his method. And in the midst of being misunderstood and misinterpreted, Jesus made a very interesting and penetrating observation. He said, you can't put new wine in old wineskins. So in his actions, he starts what scholars call the messianic secret. Every time he'd heal someone, he'd say, shh, don't tell anybody. And in his language, he replaces the straightforward language about the kingdom with parables about the kingdom. Actually, in Matthew 13, 34, this is what he says. Jesus spoke all these things to the crowd in parables. He did not say anything to them without using a parable. He did not say anything to them without using a parable. You see, Jesus had to speak in parables because even the most clear communication would get distorted and misinterpreted in a culture where people are blinded by their obsessions with power, politics, and cultural idols. Even the clearest communication would get distorted and misinterpreted in a culture where religion is used to control and oppress people rather than set them free.
followers of Jesus, we know what it feels like uh, to have your good words, your intended good words and your intended good deeds to be misinterpreted and misapplied. If we say we want to feed the poor, lower the interest rates of payday loans, provide basic health care for poor people, improve the quality of public schools, we're labeled as bleeding heart liberals. If we want to protect the life of unborn children or move, remove more of the impediments to entrepreneurial flourishing, we're labeled as uncompassionate conservatives. We live in a culture that's so divided along political lines that almost everything we do is interpreted through a political lens. Research from various organizations and writers uh, who have looked at this say that we defined ourselves more by our political affiliation than by our connection and association with Jesus. And in that kind of culture, almost anything we say and do will be interpreted, misinterpreted through a political or a lens of power. And this dynamic actually transcends America. It's everywhere, which is why uh, Pope Francis recently said that when we are trying to do good in the world, we must not use the language of politics, but the language of Jesus and the kingdom. As a matter of fact, saints, as a matter of fact, followers of Jesus, we may even have to do what Nathan did when he had to go in and hold David accountable. He used a parable and it caught David by surprise. Go back to the wisdom from Andrew Grove. How well we communicate is not just about how well we say things, but how well we are understood. Jesus uses this same wisdom when he switched to teaching with parables. He's placing the burden of effective communication or he's at least sharing the burden of effective communication with his listeners. If we're ready to understand the truth, we'll understand it. Otherwise, Jesus' parables, Jesus' truth will only make us more confused. The condition of our hearts will determine our capacity to grasp God's truth. A parable will either hide the truth if our hearts aren't ready, or for those who are ready to hear, it'll draw us deeper into conversation with Jesus. Friends, let me ask you, are you ready to listen? Jesus is speaking. Are you ready to hear? Now I want to turn and dig into the parable, but I want to do it differently. I don't want to dig into the details. Jesus actually interprets the parable in the text. So what I want to do is approach the parable by placing it in the broader and grander context of all the scripture. And what we see in scripture is an agrarian agricultural uh, theme that runs throughout scripture, begins in Genesis and goes all the way to Revelation. You find where Paul says things like one person sows, one person plants, one person waters, but God gives the increase. You'll see places where Paul says, uh, be not deceived, whatever you sow, that shall you also reap. There's this agrarian agricultural theme that runs throughout scripture. And I want to place this parable, if we place this parable, in the context of that theme, it comes alive in different ways. It begins in Genesis chapter one. Right there in Genesis chapter one, we're told about God creating uh, the world as, an, as a perpetual ecology that's sustained by a cycle of sowing, soiling, and harvesting. 
Listen to the text. God said, let the earth grow plant life, plants yielding seeds and fruit trees bearing fruit with seeds inside it, each according to its kind throughout the earth. And that's what happened. The earth produced plant life, plants yielding seeds, each according to its kind and trees bearing fruit seeds with seeds inside it, each according to its kind. God saw how, it, how good it was. And the humans that God created were told to be fruitful, to multiply and manage this creation. I like to think of this perpetual ecology that God created as God's field of dreams. Field of dreams. This creation, this field of dreams is the seed that will eventually give place to God's kingdom, the new Jerusalem in the book of Revelation. But how dare some of you all may be thinking, I call the world in which we're living God's field of dreams. The world is so broken. There's so much darkness in the world and we all see it. There's so much that breaks our heart. There's so much that brings us to the point of tears. There's so much that leaves us disillusioned and hopeless, maybe feeling despair about the condition of our world. How dare I refer to this place as God's field of dreams? but God is at work in the world, planting poets and playwrights, prophets and preachers, pediatricians and parents, artisans and astronauts, writers and workers, curators and caretakers, soldiers and servants. God is busy putting people who go the extra mile to help others, putting into his creation people who forgive and break the cycle of anger and vitriol, people who practice extravagant generosity and extra, extra, extraordinary hospitality, people who sacrifice their well-being for the well-being of others, people on whom the spirit of the Lord has fallen and they are bringing good news to the poor. They are opening blinded eyes. They are breaking the bonds of oppression. They are setting the captives free and they bring jubilee every day to people who are floundering in despair. God's field of dreams is beautiful and is full of beautiful people who move beyond, beyond their own selfish concerns and attend to the needs of the broader humanity and creation. And eventually, God's field of dreams will be fulfilled in the new kingdom. This is how the prophet Isaiah puts it. Every valley shall be exalted, every mountain and hill brought low. The crooked places shall be made straight and the rough places smooth. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together. And this particular parable teaches us how to be co-laborers with God in his growing field of dreams. This is what it says. This is what it suggests for us. Sometimes we're sowers. God blesses us with gifts and then we're charged with taking those gifts and extending them to others to the rest of creation. How's your sowing life? How are you stewarding the blessings that God has given you? Pastor Adam preached on this very idea a few weeks ago using the story of Abraham. Let's revisit the words that God spoke to Abraham that illustrate so well the dynamics of being sowers. The Lord said to Abraham, leave your land, your family, your father's household for the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you. You get that? I will make your name respected and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and those who curse you, I will curse and all the families of the earth will be blessed because of you. 
You hear it? God says, I will bless you and you are to take the blessings I give you and sow them into the rest of creation. This is really what the Generation Generation campaign is really all about, is seeding the blessings that God has given us, or you might say that God has seeded into us, taking those blessings and seeding them into future generations, into God's field of dreams. And here are three things, four things actually, that I wanna tell you about sowing. First of all, don't waste your seed. I gotta tell you a funny story. I was with Linda and the girls when the girls were younger. Giselle was a teenager, Kayla was preteen, and we were in Arizona and visit, visited this wildlife area. And we were gonna go and feed some of the animals. And so the guy gets on the bus and hands out carrots, carrot sticks. And the carrot sticks were meant to feed the animals, but I don't know what I was thinking that day. I grabbed my carrot stick and without thinking, I started eating it. My girls started laughing and they turned to me and said, Dad, what are you doing? And of course, they erupted with laughter. Before I knew it, I was eating the gift that was supposed to go to the animals. That's what we do a lot of times. God gives us stuff and before we can even pray about them, before we can even give thanks, before we even consider how might I multiply this blessing? How can I take this blessing and cultivate it so that I can share it with others? We're already wasting our seeds, spending our seeds, eating our seeds. Don't waste your seeds. Here's a second consideration. In agriculture, growing takes time. It doesn't happen overnight. You sow a seed and then you gotta wait. I wanna ask you to just consider that in terms of your relationships. There are people in your life that you've been seeded into, you've been praying for them, you've been coaching, mentoring, you've been talking with them, having uh, uh, meaningful conversations and nothing has changed. Well, I want you to hold on to hope because when you plant seeds, you gotta be patient and you gotta wait. And then number three, you're gonna reap what you sow. You don't plant an orange seed and expect apples. You reap what you sow. So be careful about the kinds of seeds you're sowing in your life because you are going to reap a harvest from the seeds that you've sown. If you sow seeds of anger, you will see anger all, all around you. If you sow seeds of compassion, you will receive compassion because we reap in our lives what we sow. And then we have to be careful where we plant our seeds because all seed is not good soil. But we can change the world sowing one seed at a time. St. Francis of Assisi wrote a beautiful prayer and I let's wanna share it with you and we read it together. Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let me sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. Where there is sadness, joy. Divine Master, grant that I may not so much seek to be consoled as to console, to be understood as to understand, to be loved as to love. For it is in giving that we receive, it is in pardoning that we are pardoned, and it is in dying that we are born to eternal life. Second, Sometimes we are the seed. We are the seed that God has planted in his field of dreams 
and we are the blessing God is giving to others. Sometimes it's seed, and I want you to hear this. Sometimes it's seed. We think that because of our circumstances or the place where we are currently serving or working or living, that it feels like we've been buried. But I want you to trust God in those times and know that you, have, you haven't been buried, you've been planted. And maybe there's a season before the world gets to see your gifts, before God's field of dreams gets to experience your beauty and your power and your gift. But be patient because you've been planted. Trust God, eventually you're gonna bloom where you've been planted. The Wesley covenant prayer is so beautiful because it's, it's a kind of way of saying, Lord, I'm your seed and I wanna be used by you. I'm no longer my own, but thine. Put me, to thy put me to what thy wilt. Rank me with whom thy wilt. Put me to doing, put me to suffering. Let me be employed by thee or laid aside for thee, exalted for thee or brought low for thee. Let me be full, let me be empty. Let me have all things, let me have nothing. I freely and heartily yield all things to thy pleasure and disposal. And now, O glorious and blessed God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, thou art mine and I am thine, so be it. And the covenant which I have made on earth, let it be ratified in heaven. It's a way of saying, Lord, I'm your seed. Plant me where you want me to be planted. Cultivate and grow me in your time, in your wisdom, in your will. And let me be a blessing to those whom you have purposed and destined for me to be a blessing. And then finally, sometimes we're the soil. We're the place where God has seeded his blessings. And when God has planted us, when we're the, God planted something in us, when God has placed gifts inside of us, seeds inside of us, God is expecting fruitfulness. We have to receive, protect, nurture, cultivate, and bring the fruit from the seeds that God gives us. So let me ask you some questions, saints. When God sees a blessing in your life, does it fully receive, do you fully receive it into your life and cultivate it so that it lasts beyond just a momentary pleasure? When God sees a blessing in your life, do you receive it initially, but allow the stresses of life to cause you to become ungrateful and negative? When God sees a blessing in your life, rather than receive it, cherish it, and be thankful for it, do you allow your insatiable desire for more to cause you to miss the blessing that God is giving you? Or when God sees a blessing in your life, do you receive it, give thanks, celebrate it, nurture and cultivate it, and turn it into a blessing for others? Are we being the kind of soil where God can plant seeds and grow new blessings in his field of dreams? Are you healthy soil? Are we healthy soil together? I think about the fact that we're soil a lot these days as I've come to resurrection. It's such a joy to be here because resurrection, you and Pastor Adam and Pastor Scott and so many others, are planting their seeds into me. Tr you've trusted me with your seeds. So Linda and I, part of our prayer, I hope this is a model for you, part of our daily prayer is to pray God for everything that people are pouring into us, for everything that people are sharing with us, for everything blessing that they have worked so hard to acquire and build and to receive from you as they share that with us, 
make us good stewards of your gifts. So not only do we add value to it, but we help Resurrection to pass those blessings on to others. Linda and I were soil for our daughters. We were blessed with two beautiful girls whom we love dearly. And we try to remember every day that we don't own them. We can't define their purpose, but God planted them in our soil to cultivate, to nurture, to feed, to protect. I was so proud of my daughters when we, we used to spend every summer at Disney. And one summer at Disney, we were moving from park to park and we got on one of the buses and Giselle and Kayla ran to the back of the bus. It was in the middle of the summer. They were actually running to the back of the bus because that's where the air conditioning on the bus is located. They ran to the back of the bus. Linda and I were born in the 60s. So although we did not live the civil rights movement, we were children of the civil rights movement. We, were, we grew up in the 70s. And so when we saw our daughters running to the back of the bus, we said to them, Giselle and Kayla, don't go to the back of the bus. What are y'all doing? Don't go to the back of the bus. Do y'all realize that people die so that we don't have to sit at the back of the bus? I was so proud of Giselle's response. She said, I'm not going to the back of the bus because I have to. I'm going because I want to. I've never been more proud because it made me feel like all the years before that, Giselle was probably 11 or 12, all the years before that, all the love and nurturing and coaching and inspiring and confidence building and self-esteem building, all the seeding, all the sowing of seeds, all the soiling, the work of of being a good, healthy soil, soil for her and Kayla, that I saw some fruit of it that day, that I saw two girls who were growing up to not see themselves through the lens of race, but through the lens of being people who are free to make their own decisions. And in Resurrection, as I close, I got to tell you two other stories about how you are healthy soil. Went to lunch last Sunday with a couple of, with a family from our church and they, be, they are both, both the husband and wife are working in our sixth grade Sunday school ministry. And they begin to tell stories about the wonderful things that they see week in, week, week out. But that Sunday, last Sunday, they told us about two kids in particular. One was a young girl who had seen somewhere along the way, a documentary, had seen a documentary about homeless, homelessness. And she came to Sunday school class, shared that information. And then after Sunday school class, she lingered to talk with her teachers because she was so rattled by the idea that there are people in our world who don't have a place to stay, who don't have a place to live. And that's a sad story to hear that. It's sad to hear that a child's heart is broken, but that also means that resurrection and her parents are seeding into her, are pouring into her, that God has planted her in the soil of her parents' lives and in the soil of resurrection's life, and that good things are coming forth. Because I think it's absolutely awesome that an 11-year-old kid says it is unacceptable that there are people in our world who don't have a place to live. May she continue to be that way. And may we continue to raise up children 
who will say no to needless suffering. The second kid they told me about that day was a young boy who's lost his father. His father died, he's 11. His father died, he's, he expressed his sadness about it. And they said the week before they took prayer requests. And so when they got to the time of prayer again, he asked if he could pray. And hear this resurrection. He remembered every other kid's name and he also remembered every other kid's prayer request from the week before. Wow. Those are the kind of children that we are cultivating and nurturing here at Resurrection. Thanks be to God. Who knows that a young man might stand here one day and be the one who brings the word of God. But thank God that we're raising children who are compassionate enough, who have enough empathy, who have enough emotional intelligence to remember the names and the prayer requests of their classmates. Resurrection, we are in God's field of dreams. It's beautiful. It is frightening at times. It's broken in many ways, but it's beautiful. And we get to participate as sowers, as soil, and as seeds. So let's go be those things in God's field to the glory of God and to the blessing of those around us. Let's pray. Eternal Father, we thank you so much for all that you are for us. Thank you for setting us in your field of dreams in this season. We do not take our lives nor our gifts for granted. We're grateful. And now we ask you to give us the grace to protect your gifts, to cultivate your gifts, to multiply your gifts and to pass your gifts on to others, not just those who are with us now, but even to future generations. And we take delight in the fact that as more people experience your goodness, you are delighted. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for watching this week's sermon. We'd love for you to join us again for live worship online or in person. To learn more about Church of the Resurrection, please visit core.org. Have a great week and we'll see you next time.